Welcome to the BookNet Canada podcast. I'm Kira Harkonnen, BookNet's marketing associate. And I'm Elizabeth Berger, project coordinator at BookNet. And for the first time on the podcast, we're going to talk about something very near and dear to our hearts, libraries. Elizabeth is also joining us on the podcast for the first time, and she's something of a library expert. Yes, somehow this happened, and it's amazing. Um, So part of my role here is working on a library project known as Lone Stars. That's L-O-A-N, in case any of you are Googling it and are now looking at Texas-inspired food. Uh, Basically, just to give a very brief overview, we ask library staff across the country to vote for their favorite anticipated books, uh, books that they believe should be in all uh, Canadian libraries. And one of BookNet's industry tools, Catalyst, which is basically publishers put up their digital catalogs, it allows library users, retailers, media types, etc., to actually request books, uh, advanced copies of these books, well before pub date. So these tend to be actually fairly informed votes, and our top 10 list, which is generated each and every month, uh, actually has some unexpected twists and turns, and actually future award winners. There's, we have an infographic on that. It's kind of astounding. Um, but basically, the name of the game is about discoverability, and that's both for library staff and patrons, which is why I've actually decided to take the Lone Star Challenge, which is what I'm calling reading every single pick. Um, and right now, I think we're at 280, and that's soon to be 290, so I'm, uh, I'm so booked. what are you at? Yeah. What number uh, are you at? 11. Yay. Some of them are series, to be fair, so I have to read all of the series. Like last <laughs> month... Uh, the J.D. Robb Leverage and Death made it, and that's number 47, and I've never read an Eve Dallas book, so <laughs> I've, got a, I've, got, I've got some... You've got a ways to go. I'll do it. I'm going to climb that mountain. I believe in you. I was actually quite surprised when I realized we hadn't done a library-focused podcast before, and that oversight actually inspired today's topic, which is why libraries should not be overlooked. Um, it's nice to see the BookNet podcast branching out. Bad puns aside. It's an amazing pun. Okay. Bad puns aside, (laughs) the importance of libraries cannot be stressed enough. I'm sure many of us remember going to the library as a kid, if not a public library, then a school library. And hopefully many of our listeners are still dedicated library patrons well into adulthood. However, according to our consumer survey, of the 81% of our respondents who had read a book in the last year, just under 50% of them had checked out a book, either print or digital, from the library. That means 60% of Canadians did not. And while there is some bias in this data that it only represents those Canadians who are willing to answer surveys, that is still a very large percentage. And many of those people who haven't been to the library recently are often surprised to learn that library systems have actually advanced beyond what they remember when they were kids. Uh, Fun fact, there are not actually a lot of VHSs or audiobook cassettes uh, floating around anymore. All libraries offer something different to their communities, but it's well worth checking out at your local branch if you haven't been for a while, so there's new things to see. Several major library systems across the country have partnered with Australian movie streaming service called Canopy, which is kind of like Netflix, and they offer access to everyone with a library card. There are over 30,000 titles to choose from, and you're allowed to watch eight movies per month, which boils down to two movies a week or one every day for the first eight days of each month if you possess the same lack of self-control that I do. (laughs) I do not. Um, And if you're out in West Vancouver near the Memorial Library and you don't yet have unlimited movie access, uh, they negotiated a deal with Netflix to allow library patrons access to this entire site. Um, And of course, many public libraries also have a collection of CDs, DVDs, Blu-rays, and of course, there are some books. (laughs) There are tons of libraries adding to the list of perks that come with owning a library card. Many major cities across Canada and the U.S. offer patrons the option of visiting many major museums and cultural institutions for free using their library cards. 
The New York Public Library offers library card holders something called the Culture Pass, which grants you access to museums such as the MoMA and the Guggenheim for free. And then in Canada, the Toronto Public Library offers this kind of pass through a partnership with Sun Life Financial. It's called the Museum and Arts Pass Program, or MAP for short. With the two Ps. Two Ps, yes. Uh, with this pass, you can visit attractions such as the Royal Ontario Museum, the Batashu Museum, and even the Toronto Zoo. And the same thing exists in Vancouver, Victoria, Calgary, Ottawa, and many other cities. So do some research. It's usually under different names, but some variation of culture pass. Okay, I've definitely been calling it the Beta Shoe Museum, and I've actually been there. So, <laughs> um, And also in Toronto, I think they also give you access to the Toronto Star Archives. Uh, which goes all the way back. I found a crazy story about my great-grandmother and a uh, she ran away, they eloped and there was a whole case about it and she was, they were sending money because they were in jail and they were, that's she was, crazy. Yeah, she was 17. It was it was a bit of a scandal. That's amazing. There's a pic, like they drew a picture of her. Sorry, <laughs> uh, personal sideline. Um, but you can also take courses on lynda.com for free. So I think it shows that libraries sort of extend well beyond just entertainment and they do focus on enrichment and the welfare of their communities. Exactly. There are libraries that offer all sorts of things beyond books, from fishing gear to power tools to clothes and even musical instruments. Yale students who visit the Lillian Goldman Law Library can even check out a registered therapy dog for a 30-minute petting session. His name is General Montgomery, or Monty for short. Aww. I think he actually had like a BISAC code attached. Like That is the weirdest <laughs> checkout page I've ever seen. However, it is an adorable photo, so we encourage you to actually go and take a look at it. Yeah, he's in the library catalog. Oh, he's so cute. Do you think he actually lives in the library? I have no idea. Oh my god, we should find that out. And actually, this is something that was really neat, and I think we posted about it the other day, but Toronto is being completely innovative, and TPL is currently in the middle of writing a book, And but they're not writing the book. They're getting Torontonians to write the book. So I think how it works is that every day someone adds a line, and then they vote to see if this is where the story is going to go, and it's just it's amazing, and I can't wait to see what the book actually turns out to be. Um, I think they like extended the pro the project because like so many people are contributing. Oh, There's like a yeah. poll, you vote for which line is your favorite, and then and it's every single day. Like it's just so I really want to find. It's like a choose your own adventure, but maybe sadder because I think people don't always write happy. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of positive and unique ways to involve the community, in June the Lunenburg Library in Nova Scotia was moving to a new location, which is. 300 meters away from their old location and so hundreds of people gathered to form a human book chain to begin the process of moving the library's collection of over 18,000 books and the townspeople just got into a single file line where they, able, where they are able to move close to 600 books on the first day and to quote Lunenburg's mayor Rachel Bailey this kind of collaborative effort really speaks to the importance of libraries in our communities. It's an amazing video. Do you think we can do it in the office? Like maybe just make a circle and then we can just like lead it back to the bookshelves? We don't have that many books, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we don't. It'll just be the same book going around in a circle. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like library initiatives like this and various community programs have just really taken off over the last little while and libraries have remained as relevant and important as ever. Uh, for example, in Medicine Hat, their public library's number of programs has increased by 116% over the last two years and attendance has increased by 54%. I mean, it's incredible. I remember when I was a kid, the only library events I went to were book readings and weird puppet shows. Of course, I can still attend library events, but it would have been really cool to be able to go to things like Drag Queen Storytime when I was younger. Drag Queen Storytime, or uh, as it's probably more commonly known uh, for its American name, which is Drag Queen Story Hour, is 
actually a highly polarizing event. It started in San Francisco by author and activist Michelle T, that's T-E-A, and her literary nonprofit organization, Radar Productions. Drag Queen Story Hour now has chapters all over the world, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Drag queens visit public libraries, schools, bookstores, all over the place to read to children and teach them about acceptance, inclusion, the importance of individuality, and empathy. It's glamorous, positive, fun, and unabashedly queer. Lucky for us, we had the chance to speak with Maya Hicks, also known as Athena McQueen, about her involvement with Drag Queen Storytime at the Guelph Public Library. I, it, w- it was going viral around the internet, you know. I think it started in New York City, I believe. I could be wrong. So then I was approached by the Guelph Pride Committee if I wanted to do it. Um, I lost touch just for no bad reasons, just lost touch with the Guelph Pride Committee, and uh, I just sort of did it on my own after that. And, um, yeah, so I just planned it with the Guelph Public Library kind of thing. It was awesome. I don't know how else to describe it. They loved it. It was very validating for me and uh, slightly educational, and I think they all got something out of it. I asked them to give me an assortment to choose from, and they picked out some really good books for me. I read I Am Jazz by Jazz Jennings. I can't remember any, but a lot of them were very much like like books about being yourself or like uh, a story about like a little boy who wants to wear a dress and gets bullied. Like just sort of I always try to pick a story that's about uh, diversity or uh, being yourself in spite of adversity. Sort of like also that it's okay for boys to be feminine and it's okay for girls to be masculine and anything in between sort of thing, right? I definitely went to a lot of shows at the Guelph Public Library, and I'm, you know, I'm performing in the same stage space that I went to growing up, so that's very cool. I think libraries are super important. I think they're a cornerstone in every community. I get very frustrated by people who think libraries are irrelevant because they don't turn a profit or so forth, but uh, I think libraries are an invaluable part of any community. Um, What bothers me is I actually did have an incident where people were sharing my events and making homo and transphobic. I'm a trans woman, so people were making comments, and what really bothered me is uh, someone shared my event, and I replied to them because I was notified because it was from my Facebook page, so I don't know why they thought they were being anonymous, and um, they heavily implied that children weren't safe around me because I'm trans, and uh, that really bothered me, and I politely but firmly responded to them. It, I don't know. We're living in an era now like where bigots are feeling a lot more empowered to speak their mind. So um, it's a little troubling. But beyond that, in Guelph, I haven't, I've had nothing but support. So I'm very lucky. But who knows what's down the road? I mean, at a very base level, it shows kids that you can basically be whoever you want and you can express yourself however you want as long as you aren't harming anyone else. I think what's also good too is Uh, I feel like, you know, it makes an impact on queer and trans kids who might not necessarily realize they are queer or trans yet. And I know that I'm a trans woman, but I grew up living as a little boy. And I think uh, as a little boy, seeing someone fierce like myself reading story time would have had a big impact on me. It probably would have given me a lot of confidence that there's someone else out there like me and that it's okay to be that way.
the Guelph Public Library, their children's programming seems quite excellent, actually. Like, they seem to have a lot of uh, lively stuff going on. I'm quite impressed because I didn't know any about it until I started doing uh, story time, and I was quite impressed by what they have going on there. They work very hard, and there's always something awesome going on for kids there. My favorite moment, actually, is uh, I was just a little bit behind for time one time when I was doing it and I was in a rush and I uh, didn't quite put my wig on properly and um, so I made a very silly joke to the kids knowing that they would get it that this isn't my real hair and that this is a wig and a little boy chimed in and said yeah I know I can see your hair sticking out the back I was like oh shady reminded me to check the back of my neck before I go back out thought that was so funny Uh, when doing research for this podcast, trying to learn more about the event, I can't tell you how many articles and comments I came across from people who thought the events were trying to indoctrinate kids or push some sort of political agenda. There are many people who are sufficiently angry that this event even exists, and even angrier that it exists in public libraries all across North America. There's this kind of mentality that kids are too impressionable and that they will want to become drag queens as a result of attending this uh, event. And even if that were true, what's wrong with that? Every child should have the chance to explore who they are with help from positive role models. It has nothing to do with sexuality or pushing a liberalist agenda, and everything to do with imagination, diversity, and acceptance. And it's true, sometimes kids don't grow out of what they want to be, and some of us still want to be Sailor Moon and are still waiting for that moment when they turn out to be the Moon Princess, but we're just getting off topic. Because, (laughs) I mean, as an adult, speaking as an adult who does not want to be Sailor Moon, um... (laughs) Like, I, I can see the political side of things and whether or not I agree with the the arguments. But, like, if I were a kid going, I would just be excited to be there to be read a good story by a talented performer. Because, I mean, I remember being in, in elementary school and actually we were read A Wrinkle in Time. And I hated it. I had hated that book forever until I actually sat down last year and read it again. And it's brilliant. But I had so many years where I just, like, didn't have access to that magic because it was read to me in, like, the most, like, I don't want to be here. So, I mean, I think if we, what's important to remember is that kids are there to be entertained. And if it's a byproduct of Drag Queen Storytime is tolerance and understanding, then two birds, one stone. I'm so glad this program is available. It's what helps to promote not only um, acceptance, but also diverse books and shows how important it is for the community that libraries actually are. Mm-hmm. And we were lucky. We had a chance to speak with Michelle Arbuckle about the importance of the library and community uh, engagement programs like Drag Queen Story Hour. Michelle is the Director of Member Engagement and Education at the Ontario Library Association, or OLA. In case you're unfamiliar, it's the oldest and largest continually operating nonprofit library association in Canada. According to the website, they provide the chance for library staff and supporters to share experience and expertise while creating innovative solutions in a consistently changing environment. They offer opportunities for learning, networking, recognizing, influencing, and celebrating within the library world. And they hold an amazing super conference, and there are so many authors and books, and you get to talk to people, and it's lovely, and yes, I love it. It's my favorite event of the year. You're the director of um, member engagement at OLA? I am the director of education and member okay. engagement, yes. Awesome. So what does that entail exactly? 
Um, it entails a lot. I mean, I kind of cover a number of different portfolios. So I cover off membership, which is just like reaching out to people who work in libraries across the province. Um, and I say people who work in libraries because we're not just librarians. So there are people who work in libraries who are library technicians. We also have um, library trustees and CEOs as part of that, uh, part of our membership. So I work with all of those people and, um, and also with students in library schools. And then the education part is a pretty massive part because obviously we do the OLA Super Conference, which happens the end of January. And that is, we take about six weeks off in between conferences, but it's kind of a year round initiative that's just always happening. And then we have 12 events throughout the year, little conferences that we do. So we just had one this week, which was our Marketing Libraries Conference. And each of those gets between 100 and 200 people. And there's, you know, always things going on with that. Well, that sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so how did you get to this book? this position were you a librarian before mm -hmm. or yeah yeah so I uh, after library school I went right into special libraries so I was actually working in a hospital I was at Princess Margaret Hospital and I was there for about five years I was a patient librarian and then from there um, my undergrad is in music I went to I went on to be the national librarian for the Canadian Music Center which is um, a nonprofit that works with Canadian classical composers and um, I worked with them for about the same amount of time. During that time, I um, got on the OLA board and I was part of their technology division. Um, and that's like a volunteer gig. You sit on the board, you know, you attend board meetings, you help with kind of strategic direction and that kind of thing. And one of the first things that came up, I think it was my second board meeting, uh, was that they wanted to hire someone in for education. And I'm sitting in that meeting thinking, is this a conflict of interest? Because I really want to do this. Like, I want to do this all the time. I get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I let them know right away after that meeting. I'm like, listen, I'm willing to drop out. Uh, can you put me on the salary? So anyway, I had to go through the whole process, obviously. And now I've been there for almost eight years. Cool. Yeah. Um, we found an article about drag queen story time we saw like a picture of you in attendance and that's how we chose you for this conference because like Honored. we're trying to talk more about like how libraries uh, are so important to the mm -hmm. community and like different community outreach programs that are available so yeah. can you tell me more about drag queen story time and what that meant to you sure so my daughter Simone who is turning six in a couple weeks um, she is not I mean making sweeping generalizations about a six-year-old but she's not really cerebral yet like she's not she's not automatically a library kid which hurts my heart deeply so I try to kind of push her into libraries every chance I get which is probably gonna you know work against me at some point but I'm always trying to bring her to fun branches and do fun things that aren't just you know um, book related and from a librarian perspective I know there are a number of things that libraries do that aren't just book related so um, it was in December of this past year that Jones Library, which is quite near us in Leslieville, oh, Toronto. Me as well, yeah. I yeah. Live in the exact same area. So they um, were promoting a drag time, a drag queen story time that they were doing for New Year's Eve. So it was just before New Year's Eve. And um, obviously they're not open on New Year's Eve, I wish. <laughs> but um, it was like a kid's party. They were going to have drag queens there. They were going to do a countdown. And I was just really into that vibe of bringing all the kids in and seeing the drag queens. I love drag queens. And I, I knew that she, cause you know, any six year old girl worth her salt is into wigs and costumes and mm -hmm. pretend. And so I knew that she'd be into it. 
Mind you, it was total chaos in there. I mean, shout out to the Jones Library staff because they handled it beautifully, but the library was, it was like the community (laughs) crushed into that place. And it was a small library. Yeah, and it was super like snowy and gloopy outside (laughs) and everyone's just like tromping in there with wet boots. Um, But the drag queens in there were fantastic. They kind of split them up at two ends of the library and they each did a story time with a group of kids and they read stories. I can't remember the exact titles, but it was like, you know, free to be you and me. It was very like, um, you can be whoever you are. Beautiful is beautiful. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, no matter what you you look like, you have a family. And so it was very like inclusive. There were a number of um, LGBT families there and a lot of friends of mine, same-sex couples with, um, with kids were there. And so it was just a wonderful vibe. It was too crazy to do the countdown in the end. Like <laughs> everyone was just like, three, two, one, yay. Like, oh, is, is it the new year already? Yeah. But uh, she had a great time. It was her first drag queen experience. Um, And so when we got in, she's kind of looking around very suspiciously. And she's like, hmm, I think that's a boy. (laughs) She's looking at the drag queen. I was like, yeah, maybe it is. Totally, sure. She's like, hmm. And and he's, you know, now he's all dressed up. He's called a drag queen. And, you know, now she's wearing a dress. And... And she's got a, a cool new name, and this is, you know, she does this on stage, and she entertains everyone, and it's really cool and fun. And by the end, she was loving it. It's amazing. I found it, like, interesting. I talked to Athena McQueen this morning, mm-hmm. and both of you mentioned, like, not really being able to remember what books were read, but, yeah. like, you remembered, like, the atmosphere the of the thing. Totally. And I think that's, like, mostly what it's all about. It's, like, yeah. a performance is meant to, like, engage kids. It's not so much about the books. It's about, like, acceptance and presenting this kind of thing to yeah. like a young audience which is really cool mm-hmm. what do you think they events like this not just drag queen story time offer to the community why do you think they're so important well i mean a number like i said a number of my best friends my neighbors are same-sex couples and i just had this conversation the other day with my neighbor that um, her and her wife have a daughter who is two and she was like you know i feel so terrible because we don't have any same-sex friends with kids all their same-sex friends single or don't have children and she was really looking to make those kinds of connections and it was the perfect place to do that like she met another uh, a couple of gentlemen who had a kid around the same age and now they're getting together for play times and it's just such a great you know it really is a great community hub for, no matter what your event it brings those like-minded people together it allows them to make connections and then go outside the library and continue those connections you know yeah I think like the library isn't necessarily the place that you would think that this would happen, but it's also the perfect place that you think that yeah. this kind of event would happen. It's because, amazing. you know, there's nothing happening there that's requiring you to buy anything. There's no, like, capitalist angle to it. Exactly. Um, so for families, and, like, Leslieville has a ton of low-income families where that would be a major hindrance. So if you had it at, like, you know, no offense to Starbucks, but if you had it at a Starbucks or a bookstore, mm. there's, like, that kind of pressure of, okay, what do I have to buy to justify me being here and receiving this program for free? Yeah, like lots of bookstore events are like, please show your receipt for your book that you purchased so you can participate in the event, which is, yeah. yeah. Or even, you know, I know a lot of independent bookstores that are doing great programs. Queen Books is doing great stuff. Um, But then there's also that like, and all of the books we're showing today are also for sale. So, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's just, 
there's just not that angle in a library at all. It's just yeah. you're the community, yay, you're here, have a great time. And it like See takes the pressure off of everyone. Absolutely. Like, everyone's just there to have like a fun time. Yeah. Like the most sales pitchy thing that'll happen to you is, hey, do you want a library card? <laughs> <laughs> That's not a big deal. <laughs> you want this thing so you can get free access to books? Yeah, yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So what are your favorite stories about being a librarian since you were a librarian before? Oh man. Do you have any like war stories? Or even just like your favorite like happy contribution? Uh, my first gig was in a hospital library, it was a cancer library, uh, with patients. So that, you know, it's not necessarily always the happiest place. Mm -hmm. um, it was a place where families would come when they were looking to research a loved one's cancer, usually not the patient themselves, because by that point the patient was kind of, they'd had it up to here with cancer. Mm -hmm. um, but there are, for example, at Princess Margaret, whenever someone finishes their last chemo, they ring a bell and everybody cheers. And you know, there's happy moments like that, and where the library can can participate and and celebrate people who are hopefully finished with that you know journey. Um, but one of my favorite, I just I really like interacting with with students, with young people that are coming in at the Canadian Music Center. Um, you know, just kids coming in that have no idea. We would have doors open events and um, what's the one that happens like all night long? Nuit Blanche? Yes, we did a Nuit Blanche um, where we had a couple of performers and you could come in and just pull any score off of the shelf and they would just perform it on demand, which was great and super cool and uh, it got, you know, the, I call them kids now <laughs> all the kids coming in and 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 looking at scores in different ways of how people write music and that was you know always fascinating because the way that composers write music in the 20th century is much different than looking at like a Mozart score like you know there's like a, a, a music staff could like go into this big drawing that you have to basically interpret into music <laughs> it's very wild <laughs> I blame drugs um, but you know that I really like um, just kind of exposing um, kids to libraries in ways that they don't expect and music is a really good way to do that and uh, and you know things like this like drag queen drag queen story time who expects to walk into a library and see you know a giant drag queen exactly <laughs> doing like, a story it's like i think what we're trying to mostly do with this podcast is just show people all of the things that libraries are apart from books like books are important but like yeah. they're just like one piece of the huge puzzle like you can get yeah. anything from the library well and like. that's the coolest part of my job now is I get to work with libraries across the province and and also across the country in different capacities and so I get to see all the amazing things that they're doing well or sorry Vaughn Public Library right now is building a commuter library so it's right outside Vaughn the mm -hmm. new subway station up there and one of the things that's going to be included in the library is like a kitchen like a public community kitchen and they're planning to do cooking lessons in there and demos and probably I don't know but I'm assuming like a whole cookbook collection mm. and it's just such a cool idea first of all I love commuter libraries there's one apparently in Porter um, the, the island airport here in Toronto oh, yeah. which I've not I seen but I heard that, about yeah. it um, and and you know I it's one of those things you always think about when you're traveling you go to an airport you're like oh I gotta grab a magazine or a book before I get on the plane every single time I'm every time I'm like oh this traffic is terrible I wish I had let me grab a crappy people magazine <laughs> or, you know like or or even I just like to go into the I don't even know what the name of 
the store is, where they sell the books, but you know, just looking at all the trade paperbacks that are out on the covers. <laughs> if there was a library though there, yeah, that you could easily get something out of, and then upon return, just drop off in the in the you know uh, in the terminal, that would be amazing. That would cover so many needs and save my bank account <laughs> from all these needless airport expenditures. I know on my street we have like uh, one of those like little free libraries someone just has it outside mm-hmm. of their house I hate the name little free library because like all libraries are free but um it's really great I'm like walking the dog to the park and I like look in there and I'm like ooh, what new book can I read at the park today and then I just like kind of like skim through it if it's usually they're like yeah. non-fiction so I can skim it and then just drop it off or drop another book off on my way back home and it's yeah. amazing I love that like libraries are like seeping out into the real world I know. <laughs> it's really cool and you know that's kind of like it's interesting that you mentioned that because those on-demand library services essentially become book boxes. That's really what they are, mm-hmm. right? It's a little free book box. Um, but think about you know how librarians could be used in like an airport setting, for example. You're going somewhere, you need somebody to help you quickly research something or figure out when you land where you can you know convert your money or like there's just so many opportunities I think to help people with problems they're having in airports that are being addressed by airport staff. Because they have too many like other things to worry about. I mean, come on. There's like, an idea to pitch. T- TPL, get on an airport librarian role. Call me. <laughs> TPL's like super innovative. They're like writing a book on Twitter, which is amazing. And then they have their like, uh, their, like story time mm-hmm. hotline. There's like lots of just really interesting things that you would never expect from a library, which I have learned so much like doing research for this podcast and I just want to do like a library tour of Canada now. You absolutely (laughs) should do that. I mean, people working in libraries, TPL has got some amazing talent in the past couple of years and and yeah, it it just shows what all the innovative work that they're doing. They're working now with like sidewalk labs for the smart city stuff and working collaboratively on that and you know, just all of these different initiatives that are happening in the city, the library is infiltrating all of them. It's it's amazing. It's the best thing that could happen. And I've noticed been like there's been like more stories on social media about things that libraries are doing. I'm not sure if I just like notice them now because I'm like working in publishing or if it's because it's actually like becoming more of like a a trend on social media. Mm-hmm. But it's exciting. I think it's they're definitely time. they're definitely learning how to leverage social media to tell their stories, which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. I think libraries are like staying modern in a way that people don't expect, which I think is really exciting. Like drag queen story time, they're staying relevant. They're not like I don't know. Lots of people I think when they think of libraries, they just remember going to the library as a kid and yeah. like at school and they like go check out their like required reading books, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's so much more. It's true. It's my it's my all time pet peeve. Whenever we hire a speaker I put it into their contract that they're not allowed to tell stories of going to the library as a kid. (laughs) I despise it. (laughs) Because surely the last time you went to a library wasn't when you were a kid. (laughs) Exactly. And they've changed so much and we're just like, gotta get away from the idea that it's only like a a thing for children, first of all. And also the thing that it's it's only, um, it's a building that you visit. I mean, I don't want to to denigrate the buildings themselves because mm-hmm. they're beautiful and they're great and the new facilities are amazing, the the thinking that's going into how you design a space. But the resources that you use online are almost just as important. I mean, mm-hmm. I haven't checked out a magazine from the library, but I have about 12 magazines per month that I check out through you know their e-magazines um, portal. And that is a huge savings for me as a person. Exactly. And 
and a huge service that they're doing to me. It's also something I know I know only use their um, audiobook collection. I just borrow through their through them instead of using um, Audible or you know something like that. So um, yeah, I think when people talk about not using the library as an adult, sometimes they're forgetting about the different ways they use a library that are kind of like just seamlessly integrating into their lives. Like Overdrive is now available in Kobo, so like people with e-readers can yeah. now, they don't even have to buy books anymore, they can just rent them straight from Overdrive, which is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so the big, big question oh that gosh. Elizabeth had to ask you, because she's on vacation now, but she wanted to know how you read so much. <laughs> does she think I read a lot? She does, yeah. <laughs> Well, let me tell you a story. I smashed into a light post the other day, reading, walking down the street. <laughs> so it's a glamorous life. Um, yeah, no, I try to sneak it in as much as I can, but I'm also fully willing to abandon a reader that I hate or that I yeah. just can't get into. I think that's important. Like people shouldn't have to force themselves Absolutely. to get into a book if they're not into no, it. No, I apologize to Elena Ferrante, but I can't <laughs> do it. I gave up. I did read the first book and a half. But I just can't finish it. It's just not. I need to recognize what's not for me, and move on. Um, Which is also the beauty of the library that you can do that. You can just yeah. be like, oh, I didn't like this. I, I didn't waste any money buying exactly. it or anything. Yes. And I, um, yeah. So I, I sneak it in where I can, uh, on commutes. On um, uh, <laughs> my husband will yell at me, but I. I try to even read sometimes during dinner, or I've, I've now trained my daughter that when it's story time, she's going to read her book and mommy's going to read her book, so we're just like independently lying next to each other reading our own things. And do you find titles to read just browsing the library, or? Um, I have a lot of friends in publishing, exactly, yeah. and uh, at conferences, and so I, I'm constantly looking at their list, I constantly look at the Lone Stars list. Um, <laughs> And and suggestions from people, um, publishers, and uh, and some from friends and Bookstagram, that kind of thing. Bookstagram, yeah. yeah. I find this like industry is really overwhelming to work in because I'm like, I want to read everything, and you cannot read everything. You can try. You try yeah. really hard. I purchased three books before my vacation uh, at the beginning of August: the Parker Posey book, the Guy Branham book, and. Uh, can't, I can never remember how to pronounce the author's name, but she wrote that we need to talk about race. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to read all of these on my vacation. I didn't crack a single one <laughs> because all my holds came in at once, right? So I had seven holds come in that same week. And I think I read three books on that one week of vacation. So I think my like book habits have been wearing off my boyfriend as well because we went on a, like, a weekend vacation and he brought um, a David Foster Wallace book and two books by Haruki Murakami. I'm like, that you is never going to happen. aren't even going to finish the David Foster no. Wallace book. No. And like, <laughs> you cannot read two Haruki Murakami books no. back to back. You, you, I think your brain would explode. I was like, you are, that's the most ambitious like Honestly. backpack of reading I've ever seen in my life. But That's trying. like three, four course meals, one after the other. <laughs> it would explode at the end. There's no way. Thank you so much for joining us. It was you're an incredible person to talk to you on the oh, podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Probably because you have your own practice and your own <laughs> podcast. But shout out to Libraryland Loves. Yes, of course, it's amazing. You should listen to it immediately yeah. after finishing this podcast. Thanks, thanks for having <laughs> me. It's great to be here. A big thank you to Michelle for joining us. Uh, Michelle also hosts the OLA podcast Libraryland Loves which is amazing and you should definitely listen to after this. 
Um, I'd like to take a second to share some of the things we have going on at BookNet and not to be too pitchy. Um, some of the things that we have concerning libraries, I mentioned Lone Stars, which uh, non-library staffers can actually access all of our path picks on our website, lonestars.ca. Um, you can also go on our Goodreads wall. We have them all organized by month, and uh, you can see actually every month they're published both in Quillen Choir and in the Toronto Star. Toronto Star is now actually including reviews from library staff, and they are short, amazing, and like this is not good for my reading list. Like, <laughs> ugh, so many, so many things. Um, and if you are a librarian um, and you don't know what Lone Stars is, uh, you can learn all about it on our website, or you can contact us at uh, Lone Stars at BooknetCanada.ca. Always happy to hear from you. Um, and we are actually working on our own library circulation checker, and it's not just a dream of mine. It's apparently a dream of many people, but it really <laughs> is like Christmas has come to the office, and I'm so excited. Uh, and we are continuing to develop our library data service. Yeah, library data gonna be big and Monique is here to tell us just a little bit more about that project hi I'm Monique I am the project manager for the library data project here at BookNet and so what we are working on building is a reporting system similar to sales data um, which some people may be familiar with um, which tracks the library circulation of books across Canada so we're going to be tracking the loans holds and renewals of books as well as copies on order um, so librarians can get a sense of how their collection is performing and also compare their own library's performance to other libraries across Canada and groups of libraries so you could compare yourself against all the libraries in your province or all the libraries in urban or rural areas so you can kind of see how you stack up against similar libraries, how you might want to grow your collection compared to collections um, at other libraries in the country, and kind of just get a better sense overall of how, how books are performing in libraries and kind of jump on trends early in case there are certain subject areas or um, groups of subjects that are performing well in your library or in your area that maybe you didn't know about before. Thanks so much for that, Monique, and also thanks to Maya Hicks, Michelle Arbuckle, and Elizabeth for joining us on the podcast this month. We gratefully acknowledge the financial support of the Government of Canada through the Canada Book Fund for this project. And as always, thanks to you for listening. Mm -hmm.